It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmoke and Lance Meadow with you. No, I wasn't wrong yesterday. It was supposed to be Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino today. I wasn't lying. I wasn't making that up. But unfortunately, and I think you know Lance might have something to do with this, Paul Dottino <laughs> still does not have any power in his uh, town in New Jersey. So I'm pinch hitting. Lance, uh, you apparently do have power in your luxurious high rise in New York City. Apparently, yes, I have a tremendous amount of influence that reaches over the river and through the woods into New Jersey. <laughs> well, I figured you just showed up and like chopped the tree down and dropped it on his power lines or something. I'm not going to give away all my secrets <laughs> on this program. I will say this. This may be the first time in the history of the universe in which Paul Dottino has been silenced over the span of 72 hours. <laughs> well, you know, my, my suggestion for his town would to be take advantage of the people you have living in your town, right? So I think they should fasten themselves some type of gigantic hamster wheel and connect it to the power grid. <laughs> and then instead of Dottino walking around the neighborhood, you know, harassing everybody and annoying them, you just put him on the hamster wheel. And it'll basically act like a perpetual motion machine where he just continues to walk, spin the wheel, and it can basically power the whole town, including his own house. You might as well kill two birds with one stone. All that work that he puts in might as well be put to good use. I'm actually surprised that Dottino, see, he would be the guy that I would imagine the minute the power goes out, and I don't know how significant it is in his neighborhood, but I could see him either going on a jog or hopping in the car and banging on doors to see if he can <laughs> utilize a room well, <laughs> to power up his unit. Well, he, he, I saw him today and at the facility. And there's a chance he might have figured out an alternate location to set up his unit for tomorrow's show. So we might have Paul back with us tomorrow. Um, it was supposed to be a three-way show with uh, Lance Dottino and myself. Anyway, uh, let's get to it here. The phone number is 973-667-1960. Give us a call. Again, we only have one line, so if it's busy, just, just keep on trying, and we will get you in as soon as we possibly can. You can also hit us up on Twitter, hashtag GiantsChat. Or just go to the portal we have online, and you can get there by typing giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions into your internet address bar. And then you can submit questions via the internet that way. Busy show today, folks. A lot to talk about. We have audio and sound from Daniel Jones's Zoom conference call today and Blake Martinez's virtual conference call today. So you'll hear from them a little bit later in the show. Uh, but Lance, yesterday, pretty much right after a big blue kickoff ended, Adam Schefter reported that Sam Beal uh, had opted out for the season and the Giants confirmed it. It was you know tweeted out yesterday by the team account. So this is not great news because if there was one spot that we probably thought the Giants needed as many numbers as possible just so they would have as many guys competing to get the best player available into the starting lineup, it was probably cornerback and DeAndre Baker, who was on the commissioner-exempt list until further notice. And now Sam Beal, who was a third-round pick and has all the physical tools you want from a cornerback, he opts out for the season due to COVID. Not that he has COVID, but he just doesn't want to play because of the risk involved. And again, Everyone can make their own decision in that regard. We're not making any value judgments on that. Everyone can make their own decision, and God bless them for making it. Uh, that is a personal decision. Everyone should be able to make it. But 
it does put the Giants defensive backfield into a further bind here, Lance. And uh, we kept talking about how many guys are competing for those starting jobs at cornerback. Well, the numbers are dwindling a little bit. <laughs> yeah, because we could very well have two new faces in two of the three starting positions as a result of, as you mentioned, Baker being on the commissioner's exempt list and then, of course, Beal opting out. I think it's disappointing from at least Beal's perspective. And once again, complete respect for Sam Beal, entitled to make this decision. Nobody should criticize it at all. Nobody should criticize any player. And by the way, in terms of the league, we're now over 60 players who have opted out. So the volume is, I think, much higher than most people anticipated. With that being said... No, as you think about it, it's only, what, two players per team, and you're looking at about like a very small percentage of the overall league. I've heard some of the guys from the NFLPA say they think that they thought the numbers are actually smaller than they were going to be. And by the way, the deadline is 4 p.m. today for guys that want to opt out. So we got two more hours of this. Well, the reason why I am a little bit surprised is I think if you consider the nature of the NFL compared to these other professional sports leagues where there's not guaranteed money in everybody's contract, there's a lot of uncertainty, the shelf life of an NFL career, John, is much shorter than other leagues. No I would have thought that most players, despite some of the risks involved, maybe would have weighed that over the risk. So that's why I'm speaking from my personal experience. I was a little bit surprised that it got this high, but once again, Everybody has a different personal decision to make, and the Giants clearly have had three players already that have opted out. And for Sam Beal's perspective, I think there was a big opportunity in front of him this year. So you would have thought with the issues facing DeAndre Baker and the youth of this position and the fact that, remember, Sam Beal was a red shirt in 2018. He did not play his rookie year after he was taken in the supplemental draft because of injury. Then last year, there was hopes that he'd get on the field. And then remember, he had the hamstring injury during the course of training camp. And that all of a sudden ate into the early stages of the season. He wound up only appearing in six games, three starts. So I think most people anticipated, well, this could be a year where his playing time increases and his role certainly increases as a potential starter. And then you get this news and you say, okay, one of the guys we had penciled in no longer in the equation. It's already a young position, John. And that means that now it's only become younger over the last 24 hours. And I think it adds to a lot of competition that Patrick Graham could see play out over the next few practices because you have Darnay Holmes and Chris Williamson, who they drafted, Corey Ballantyne, the sixth-round pick for last year. To me right now, I actually think the one guy we should start talking about more, and Julian Love I should mention from last year's class, but I think Montre Hardage, yep, when agree. it's all said and done, John, he could be staring at a starting position. That would not stun me this season. And I think, you know, we've talked about Darnay Holmes competing for that nickel corner spot. Maybe he's going to have a chance to start outside with Haley in the slot. I think yeah. that's a distinct possibility here, too. So I think for that outside spot, Lance, to your point, you're looking at Holmes, Hardage, and Ballantyne. And then there are some other younger guys, you know, um, undrafted Frasians and stuff like that. But I have a hard time predicting one of those guys are going to break into a starting lineup. So I think those are the three guys that you're looking at the outside cornerback spot. And then Holmes and Haley inside with, depending on how you want to look at Julian Love, to your point. And, boy, one of these guys better play well, man. I mean, they're going to need it. I mean, yeah, look, Beal, it stinks for him. He's had injuries for two years and now this. But, obviously, you know, he made the best decision for him and, and good for him. But the Giants need one of these guys to play well. And, look, 
you can help that side. You can put a safety over the top. You can double, do whatever you want to do. But then that's also exposing Bradbury a little bit. And, you know, James Bradbury's good, but there aren't many cornerbacks, and I can count them on, like, one hand in the history of the league that you can just put on an island with no help at all on the other side and expect him to shut down the other team's best receiver. I mean, that just doesn't happen in the NFL anymore. You know, Deion Sanders and Darrell Revis, and, and the list is kind of over, of the guys that, you know, over the last 20 years that could do that with zero help. So I don't think you can count on Bradbury being able to do that. I think that's a big ass. So whoever lines up on the other side and in that nickel, they're going to have to hold their own because otherwise it's just not going to work. Well, and the other thing that you got to take into consideration, McKinney is a first-year safety. Yeah. And you figure, well, what do you utilize to help out corners? Utilize safeties, John. But the thing is, there's still a lot of youth at that safety position. And I understand Jabril Peppers is one of your safeties, and he has some experience. But if it's McKinney or Love getting the bulk of the snaps in the other safety position, or let's say they go with three safeties, you're talking about one is a rookie and one player is, yes, in his second year, but he's learning his second defense in as many years. And remember, Love didn't get the bulk of his snaps until late last season, which we've covered on previous programs. So you're still talking about a great deal of a small sample size to make up for your safeties who you expect to help the corners, whether they're veterans such as Bradbury or the young guys. That's why... Every time I look at this cluster of cornerbacks, I keep coming back to the Grant Haley's and the Montre Hardages of the world because while Hardage was mainly listed as a safety with the Dolphins, keep in mind, he played corner for four years at Northwestern. That was his main position. So he has a wealth of experience there, and he also knows Patrick Graham's system, having been with him for the entire year in Miami because he started off on the practice squad. He did not make the 53-man roster. He was on the practice squad. They immediately signed him back, and then later in the season, they boosted him up to the active roster, and then he was acquired by the Giants in April after the Dolphins parted ways with him. And at the time, it was one of those quiet signings, John. Okay, it's a guy that knows Patrick Graham, but we're not going to make much of anything. Now, all of a sudden, we move the calendar a few months forward because of his experience, his familiarity, and the depth chart is all of a sudden getting smaller and smaller. Right now, he and Grant Haley have to feel good about the fact that they have a leg up, I think, on the rest of the competition simply because in an offseason where you don't have preseason games and you don't have a lot of padded practices, those guys at least could say, hey, I've been out on the field in an NFL game. I understand what the experience is all about, and this is not going to be much of a transition for me. Yeah, I'm with you, Lance. I, I happen to agree with you 100%. I think you're right. And he's a guy that I've talked a lot about on, on the shows I've done with Feagles that I think is a sleeper. I thought he was a sleeper before this during a starting spot. But now, you know, considering where the depth chart is, I'm not sure how much he's sleeping. I think he's wide awake. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to the press conferences today, Lance, in typical Daniel Jones fashion. Didn't say a whole lot during his press conference. You know, the offense is different. He's not focusing on comparing it to what the offense was last year. He's just taking it, you know, play by play and you know, not play-by-play -play as in, like, you know, doing a game, but in terms of, like, practicing on a play-by-play -play basis and, you know, snap-by-snap, -snap, installation by installation, just trying to learn it. He was very steady. He was asked a question, though, about the challenges heading into his second year and specifically uh, what it's like working with Jason Garrett as an offensive coordinator. Let's listen in to Daniel. And, and that's, uh, you know, I'm certainly learning and, and going through that process. The biggest thing is just, you know, not being a rookie and, and – uh, you know, having relationships with people in the building, with my teammates, and you know, obviously we have a new, a new staff, and and that's uh, you know I'm certainly 
learning and, and going through that process like I did last year, but, but just to, you know, a certain level of comfort and, and it, uh, you know, being my second year, I think is, has been good. And with coach Garrett, I've, I've enjoyed, uh, you know, learning from him so far. And, you know, I think he's extremely detailed in his teaching and, and what he expects on the field. And I think that's probably what's, what stood out the most. And, and, uh, you know, I look forward to, to working with him and continuing to learn and, um, you know, learn this, this system. And there's Daniel Jones folks. Uh, that was, the most detailed cut we could find. <laughs> Otherwise, there's there, there's a lot of, you know, he's very nice. He answers questions fully, completely. He just doesn't give a lot of detail. That's not his way yet. He's still very young in his career. He'll figure all that stuff out. Uh, but Lance, look, he's one of those guys like, yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah, it's difficult. There are things we have to do that are different. All the other teams have to do it. We're all in the same boat, and we're going to do the best I can. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens. That, that That's pretty much what the 20-minute press conference was. Well, and at this point, listen, there's not much else he could shed a great deal of light on, mainly because, once again, they have yet to get into their hardcore padded practices where you're actually running around and you're able to try to simulate gameplay. So right now, the only thing that he could reflect on is indeed what we just heard, the Zoom interactions that he's had with Jason Garrett and some of the in-person interactions that he's had since they started up training camp. I'm not surprised, though, when Daniel Jones points out the one thing that jumped out to him is Jason Garrett's attention to detail. And you could brush that off, John, and you could say, well, you know, that's a generic claim that most quarterbacks would tell coaches. But the bottom line is Jason Garrett played this position. So if there's anybody that I would expect to be ultra-detailed and know the ins and outs of the preparation for the quarterback position, it would be somebody that actually suited up at the highest level, and that's in the NFL, in which he played for the Dallas Cowboys and backed up Troy Aikman. So, you know, that I think, once again, is similar to the way we talk about Mark Colombo with the offensive line. When you have a coach at your position who actually played that position, this is no disrespect to any previous coaches that have been with the Giants organization or across the league and haven't played the position, but I just think there's a different level in which players relate to coaches and they hear their words and they say, yeah, you know what, this guy lined up in the trenches. This guy ran an offense on the NFL level. What he's saying, how he structures his meetings yeah, there's a light, at least a lot of substance behind that because of what I'm now going to experience is exactly what he went through, whether it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or what it is today. The level of preparation doesn't change. The game may have changed. The nuances of the game may have changed, but the preparation hasn't. So I think that's a good sign that Daniel Jones is already observing that up close and personal, and they're at least building that relationship in terms of detail. Yeah, and when he talks to Daniel Jones about, all right, when you take a snap and you look up at the defense, this is what you see. Well, he, Daniel Jones knows that Jason Garrett actually had to execute that on the field before. So you're right. I think it adds a level of confidence. Uh, the other uh, point that I'll bring up that I thought was significant from Jones's presser, and then you can bring up anything else you thought was is worth mentioning. Uh, one, very quickly, that, and we've talked about this, what does help having the new offense going in and no offseason is that most of the talent from last year is coming back, so it makes the, the progress a little bit easier. And number two, Lance, uh, he, we talked a lot about him working out a lot in the offseason. He played at 220 last year. Apparently, he's up at 229, so that's something uh, that he thinks will help him and maybe help with ball protection too and things of that nature. We actually had a fan question come in um, about that from Steve Hennig, uh, does he think or do we think the weight gain will hurt Jones's quickness or speed? And I personally don't. I don't think that's going to be a factor. It's not like you want Jones, you know, beating cornerbacks one on one on the outside anyway. He'll be fine scrambling to do what he needs to do as a quarterback. 
Yeah, a big part of playing the quarterback position when you're mobile is also knowing when to give up on a play. So I don't think you want Daniel Jones to now have the mindset, I'm just going to run over cornerback safeties and linebackers in my attempt to pick up extra yardage. Plus, we're only talking about, John, a difference of about eight or nine pounds, as he mentioned, because he said he played at around 220, 221 last season, and now he's in that 228, 229 category so I really don't think that's an immense amount of difference where you're saying to yourself that's going to slow him down I think the footwork is going to be key and we've already seen videos that the Giants have posted in which he's been focusing on that because you know the footwork I think could help his escapability and maybe help extend the play or at least run out of traffic and get rid of the football or just give up on the play and you know we've had previous programs where we talked about if he gets rid of the football a little bit quicker or if he just sacrifices a play that could be the difference of a few interceptions or a few fumbles here or there and that's how the team overall could get that turnover differential down, which was obviously tied for dead last with the Chargers last season. And it's not just a Daniel Jones thing that they have to work on. It's a team thing. Anybody who right now is on the coaching staff will tell you, yes, Daniel Jones had 23 of the 33 giveaways, but the other 10 still need to be accounted for. And the fact that the defense wasn't very opportunistic last season also has to be accounted for. So all of those things either have to increase on the defensive side of the ball or decrease on the offensive side of the ball. To me, it's not just simply about Daniel Jones. All right, let's get to Blake Martinez. And I predicted he would be a captain this year. I feel even better about that today. And I had interviewed him back in April, and that's why I kind of got the feeling he'd be a team leader and boy I think he showed it again in his uh, video conference call today here was a very basic question about what it's been like so far actually at the stadium in training camp and you know basically seeing his teammates for the first time in person when he's only really interacted with them on video conference here's Blake yeah I think uh, especially me being a new guy um, I think I always kind of went and thought about the OTAs portion, especially coming in if you're a rookie or a new free agent, is earning that respects portion. Um, I think that's a big kind of miss where you get a workout together, you get to see everybody's work ethic, you get to see the guys doing extra, they see the guys take control in certain tough situations, whether it's conditionings, meetings, walkthroughs, and things like that. Um, but I think overall, we did a, a great job as a team um, just focusing on making sure we we took advantage of what we were given and that was the zoom meetings being able to i don't know add in video games at nighttime with guys um just chatting after the meetings ended um and overall kind of walking in it was just having to see the guy's face for the first time in person and be like oh sweet that's what you look like you're not just it's not just your face i get your whole body now um and so it's kind of that portion was was uh different um but overall it's cool to just kind of walk in and just make it seem like we've been friends for the last six months it just shows you how different has been lance where you know these guys are shaking hands for the first time and there's a difference between you know everyone's done this before you've kind of built a relationship with somebody on the phone or doing video conferences or something like that you really haven't interacted with them in person when you do it's different and for someone like martinez who has to be a leader on defense and really relate to all his teammates on that side of the ball this stuff's important Without a doubt. Plus, I mean, just think about this. When you're a defensive player, from a football standpoint, John, when you're on the field, a lot of communication sometimes is something that has nothing to do with verbal. 
and has nothing to do with words. It has to do with looks and tendencies. So that's, I think, something that Blake Martinez is tapping into. When you see a guy for the first time and when you see his movements and you know, even you have a conversation with him eating lunch or you're in the meeting room or you're studying film together, there are things you're going to pick up on a player that maybe could translate to the field that has nothing to do with you actually verbalizing what you want that player to do. It could simply just be a look, a glance. So I think that's why it's imperative for these guys to get to know each other in a more personal relationship. But I think what was interesting is how all coaches had to be creative this offseason in terms of how they interacted with one another and they got their message across to the team. Players, I think, picked up on that as well. And simply Blake Martinez talking about how, you know, they would coordinate video game competitions or have some conversations after typical team meetings just to get a better idea of what each other was about. You know, that helps. Sometimes those small things could come back and benefit you when it's week five or week six because of how well you got to know somebody maybe in the middle of May. So I think that was at least interesting to hear the players overall, through the leadership of Blake Martinez, of course, you know, just try to be a little bit more animated and take advantage of while they're all secluded in their own homes to not have that serve as a barrier so that they can't maybe make up for what they missed out on while they would have been at the facility during OTAs. Yeah, and then this question from Paul Schwartz, which I thought was a good one, and you know, he basically asked the question this way, you know, all these players are learning this for the first time and you're all in it together, but for someone like Martinez who almost has to know the defense better than everyone else because he's going to have the communicator in his head. He's going to make adjustments. He's to know what everybody needs to be on every play. Is that an additional challenge for him, uh, especially really doing stuff on the field and meeting everybody for the first time given the virtual offseason? Here's how Blake answered that question from Paul. I think that's kind of the, the challenge of this, just like everything right now, how challenges pop up every single day. Um, but definitely in the, the playbook aspect, it's just – nailing down on, on things and doing whatever necessary, whether it's, all right, we have an hour break right now. Okay. Instead of spending the whole hour kind of chatting or whatever. Okay. Let's spend 30 minutes going back and watching film or going through um, certain installs and things like that, or talking to Pat about certain checks and things, what he's thinking. Um, it's just going to take that much more effort, just kind of chipping away. Like I said earlier um, to, to get where I need to be when the season eventually is going. And Lance, you know, the Giants haven't had, you know, that leader and middle linebacker to really lead the defense since Antonio Pierce. We've talked about that a million times. You know, John Beeson was that guy, but he was hurt so often that he never really had a chance to put his real stamp on the defense. But I really feel like, and we'll see how he plays on the field and execution and, and his production. That stuff's going to be the most important. But in terms of personality, leadership, going about his business, I think Blake Martinez is a real nice addition as a leader on this defense, especially a very young defense. I think he's going to be a real steadying veteran presence right in the center of that uh, linebacking core. Well, and he even said that himself, you know, that he looks at himself as the calming presence of the defense, John. So it's good to hear that he is more than welcoming in assuming that role which I think is a positive. And when you have a middle linebacker, you need to believe that that guy is going to be able to set the tone for the rest of the unit. And he's clearly had experience in doing that in Green Bay. Patrick Graham trusts him and believes in him because they were together in 2018. But what I also found refreshing about what Blake Martinez said is, you know, he didn't try to hide the fact that it is going to be a challenge, John, because he is learning a new defense. Even though he is 
speaking from experience with Patrick Graham, Patrick Graham was not the defensive coordinator in 2018. All Patrick Graham was was Blake Martinez's positional coach. But like anything else, when you're a positional coach and then you become the man running the defense, you're going to put your own stamp on it. So Blake Martinez realizes this is not the Green Bay defense. This is Patrick Graham's defense with his new sprinkles and his new tricks and so forth. So there is an adjustment period for Blake Martinez. There's no doubt about that. And I think he understands that. And he understands that if this defense is going to make strides in a very difficult offseason, somebody like him is going to have to take the lead. So once again, you always want to hear that the player is open to doing that. You want to hear that the player realizes it's not going to be easy. And also that the player is willing to do whatever he can whether it's extra time, whether it's additional meetings with teammates to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And we have talked, as you alluded to, about the linebacker position for many years, that you need that guy that, number one, is going to stay durable, okay? Let's also not blow that to the side. You know, that's the other problem that I think the Giants have had at this position, John. And once again, you can never control the injury bug, but I think some of the guys like the John Beesons, even the Alec Ogletrees, who also had to battle injuries, the problem is the Giants have brought in veterans before. The issue is they have not proven that they could stay on the field more often than not. So, you know, Martinez, it's not a matter of him just digesting the defense. It's not a matter of him being comfortable. It's also a matter of him being able to stay on the field. Which he has, by the way, historically. Which he has, yeah. But that also has to be met in a very difficult offseason with no preseason and so forth. So, you know, you have to really be able to check off all of those boxes in order, I think, to get what you truly want out of a player like Blake Martinez. Well, luckily for Blake, his dad basically built him a gym on his property. In Wisconsin, so he's been able to work out. He basically nice never, luxury. He basically never leaves the house because, he, much <laughs> like I, I do this too, you can have your stuff in the supermarket delivered to you now using apps or you know whatever. So you know that's that's kind of what everybody's doing now. Anything else from the other? Pre- uh, Dalvin Thomason was a third press conference. We didn't really find anything from there, uh, Lance, that was uh, informative enough to play back. But anything else from Jones, Martinez, and Tomlinson that you thought was uh, especially prescient today? Well, Dalvin, piggybacking off of what we just talked about with respect to Blake Martinez, Dalvin's another player who was with Patrick Graham during his first stint with the Giants, and there's only one guy that you can count on your hand that beats that criteria just to show you the turnover rate on this roster. But Dalvin also admitted he's seeing Patrick Graham in a different light. They have communication because they know each other, but he also has to learn a new defense because, once again, When Patrick Graham was here the first time, he wasn't calling plays. It wasn't his defense. So we have to be careful, I guess. My point is when we talk about the familiarity aspect, yes, it's great that they have a good read on the coach, meaning they know his personality. But it's a different story in terms of knowing the ins and outs of the defense. That's why bringing this conversation full circle again, John, Montre Hardage, okay, that's a guy that when we talk about familiarity, we're not just conveniently throwing out the term familiarity. No, Hardage played in Patrick Graham's defense, okay? Graham was the defensive coordinator of the Dolphins last year. Yes, I understand Brian Flores was the head coach, and Flores is a defensive play caller, and Flores put his stamp on that defense as much as Patrick Graham. So let's not be naive. But it was Graham's baby. When he was here with the Giants the first time around, it was not Graham's baby. It was Graham implementing what the defensive coordinator wanted. So Hardage has probably the biggest edge over anybody else currently on the defense because of the fact that he's lived and breathed a Patrick Graham defense. Nobody else, including Dalvin Tomlinson, can speak to that level. 
Yeah, no question about it. All right, let's open up the phone lines, Lance, at 973-667-1960. 973-667-1960. Again, I have a couple questions at hashtag Giants Chat. I'll get you, and also you can send in your questions to Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK questions. This call has been on hold since the start of the show. Let's get right to him. Caller, you're on the air with Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys. It's uh, Dave from Cranford. How are you? Dave, what's up, pal? Hey, Dave. Good, guys. Um, hey, just quick and then get right into it. You, you, I just can't thank you guys enough. When you guys are on, it's, it's, it's just awesome. You both do an amazing job. And I know that everybody's working under difficult circumstances and all the Giant fans appreciate both what you guys do. So well, thanks thank for you. that. Appreciate it. Thank um, you. So I, I, I want to ask you uh, two, two questions. One is the 53-man roster. I'm not going to go through all 53. I, I do want to ask you um, just a couple position groups. Tied into, John, some of the stuff you've done and or, or some of the comments you've made just because I think it gets sometimes swept under the rug, Lance, you too, which is, you know, the practice squad, you know, it's a big deal in terms of the changes that have been made there. And it and it's going to be really fascinating um, around how they utilize that practice squad. John, you brought up a question or an issue just yesterday, I think, you know, with possibly keeping a second kicker and something I didn't think about. And I was like, yeah, you know what, that makes a lot of sense given the fact that you could lose one, you know, the, the, the day before a game, you know, but theoretically. Um, so, um, and then the other one is on Nick Gates. So on, on the 53, can you guys just give me these three position groups in terms of numbers? Not necessarily players, but numbers. Okay. Quarterback, tight end, O-line. How many numbers, how many, how many quarterbacks are they going to keep on the 53? How many tight ends are they going to keep on the 53? And how much? How many on the O-line? All right, Dave, let, let us answer that first, then you can get to your second question. I would say, based on what Garrett did in Dallas, I would think two quarterbacks, then one veteran quarterback would be one of those that goes on the practice squad. So I think that's how they do the quarterbacks. Lance, do you agree with that? Is that how they keep their three? In a typical season, I would agree with you. I think most teams are going to do everything in their power to keep three on the active roster this year. I think every coach yeah, but did, well, is well, probably going to try to make an exception this year. Why does it have to be on the active roster? Right. Well, you could right. put Alex Tanney on the practice squad, but he may want to keep Cooper Rush on the active roster this year simply because he knows the offense and no, no, he no, may but, be good. Right, no, I hear what you say, but my point is that how does it hurt you having the quarterback on the practice squad as your third guy when he can get brought up if there's an emergency right before a game on Sunday. You know what I mean? I don't know what I don't see where there's a drawback to having the quarterback take up one of the practice squad spots versus being the third on the active roster. No, there isn't, but I'm just looking at I think most teams are gonna keep four. Oh three okay. I got you. on the active roster you. and one on the practice squad, at least one on the practice squad. So I'm I'm operating under four being my total as opposed to three. I got you. That's fair. That's I, why. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um tight end wise, I would say do you want to do tight ends and fullbacks together? Um, I don't know if they're going to keep a fullback or not, but the Patriots have in the past kind of had that fullback on the roster. And the I Cowboys would say, have had a fullback on yeah, the roster, Yeah, that too. too. So I would yeah. say probably tight ends and fullbacks, I would probably say five combined, those two positions. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. Evan Ingram, Caden Smith, Levine Toilolo, you know, that's three right there. And then they certainly can find another guy in the Battle Royale to squeeze in, plus a fullback. So I think five would be a minimum right there. With no fullback, I think probably just four straight-up tight ends. For offensive line, 
Now, uh, you had an easy nine guys to put on the roster, Lance, yep. um, before the solar injury. I mean, it was really yep. easy. You had the five starters. You had Parrot, Lemieux, Gates, and then, you know, whoever your other backup, you know, center type guy was. So um, it was really easy. And, uh, Cameron Fleming, excuse me. And, and th- that was your nine. Now you have eight that you kind of know are going to be on the roster, right? You have Pulley and Gates. You have Fleming, Thomas, and Parrot. You have oh. Zeitler, you have Hernandez, and you have Gates. So, I mean, Lemieux. So that's eight right there. Um, I would say on the active 53, you would probably have nine. And then remember, you can bring up that extra guy from the practice yep. squad on game days to get to 55, and that would probably be another offensive lineman, I would bet. And this would be a year where I don't think it hurts to keep an additional offensive lineman on the roster because of injuries, because of the fact that also you're down your left tackle. And I think it also depends. Remember, this answer is going to be dependent on how confident are they in Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux playing center. And what do they see in practice? Because if they don't feel very good about that, that also sudden changes the dynamics of how many offensive linemen you're going to yeah, keep. Do you have to add you an extra guys player? That are swing. Do you have to bring an extra player in just to back up center? Right. Yeah, exactly. If you don't feel good about Gates yeah. and Lemieux. Mm-hmm. So that that goes right into my question about Gates, and and I think you guys brought it up. I, one, I was thrilled to see them sign him. You know, I think it's a great sign. Um, but I think it also just it begs the question, you know, John, I think even yesterday, again, you brought up the fact of having a guy like Gates on the roster and how how valuable it is that he theoretically can back up, call it four, you know, maybe even five positions. Is that more valuable? Like, do, do they look at that? How does that versatility play into him potentially being the starting center? Which one is like you know in other words to say it to you this way you know do does he does he do a great job at center cuz i think he's smart enough and i think he's you know i think i think he's addressed his weaknesses in the off season i hope um you know has he done enough at center where they sit there and say you know what we'd love him at center but we'd rather have him as our swing guy that could literally fill in for four or five positions as opposed to he becomes our starting center. Let's just say Nick Gates becomes a starting center. And now Pulley, theoretically, assuming he stays on the roster, backs him up. But but does that then reduce, you know, their concern about right tackle, left tackle, right guard, left guard, you know, in, in that regard? I, I just would love to get your guys' comments. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening to me so Thank long. You, Dave. I, I, I let somebody else get on. No, no worries. I appreciate the call. I, look, if Despite his flexibility and versatility and, to Dave's point, the value you have in someone like that as your you know backup player at maybe four different positions, five different positions is great. But if he's one of the five best offensive linemen, Lance, he's starting, okay? And what you can do, let's say he's your best center. You start him at center, right? And then Will Hernandez gets hurt. All right, then slide Gates over to left guard, and then Spencer Pulley becomes your center. I mean, I think he can start at center and then still move around if you need it. I mean, the Giants did that with David Deal for years, right? Kevin Booth is another guy that was moved around. Exactly. So you start him at the best spot that helps the team the most, but then if you have to move him around in order to get your next best offensive lineman on the field, 
you do that. And I think that's where the value is, right? If you have enough guys that can move around, Lance, it's always easy to get your five best linemen on the field. If you have guys that are married to positions, you might have to, you know, let's say left tackle gets hurt. You bring in your backup swing tackle who's not very good. But you have an excellent guard sitting there on the bench with nowhere to play because your two guards are healthy. Well, since Gates can play both spots, you don't have that problem. Yeah, it's all about the best combination, but we can't believe in this mindset that just because Nick Gates, let's say, does win the starting center spot, and I'm just going based on this hypothetical road, that in the event that there's an injury at the right tackle position and they don't feel good about the depth there, that they can't then take Nick Gates out of the center position, move him to right tackle, and then go to your second option at center. It's more of a reason why you're preparing Shane Lemieux to play center, and you're also trying to get Nick Gates as many reps in the event that injuries happen. Remember, let's go back to Spencer Pulley and how he arrived on the team. And I brought this up multiple times, John. They claimed Spencer Pulley right as the season started two years ago because the Chargers got rid of him. Spencer Pulley then had to learn the system. Now, he had been the starting center for the Chargers, so it wasn't as if he was being thrown into a position or asked to play a position that he didn't know about, but he didn't know the system. So when John Jalapio went down week two against the Cowboys and had that gruesome leg injury, John Greco actually slid into center. It was not Spencer Pulley immediately. And then they slowly made the change for Pulley to take over at center. So my point is why I'm bringing that up. You go with the guys that are comfortable and ready to play those positions at the beginning. But that doesn't mean that you're locked in, that if Nick Gates started at center day one, that they have to stick with Nick Gates for the rest of the season. No, it depends on how injuries play out and so forth. Nick Gates could be potentially the starting center and the swing tackle, which means that if there's an injury to a tackle position, Nick Gates then gets moved around. I don't think any offensive line coach will tell you, when we make up the eight or nine guys that make our roster, they all go into one spot. No, there's at least two or three guys that you feel good about playing multiple positions, and you adjust as the season plays out. Yeah, no question about it. I'm with you 100%. You know, he could, he could do both. He could be your yeah. starting center and then be a guy that moves around if you need him to. And I don't think that's, you know, that big of a deal. Another question from hashtag Giants chat. This one from Steven Lipman. He wants to know, or this is what he asked. Chris Williamson hasn't received much attention since he was drafted. Well, seventh round pick. Uh, Ballantyne, Haley, and Love have more experience than either of the two rookie DBs, Holmes or Williamson. Could McKinney work as a cornerback? So, uh, A, no, I don't see McKinney as, your, as a full-time cornerback. I think he's your deep safety. If in spots you want to use him in the slot, covering tight ends or even you know wide receivers, fine. In spots, that's great. But to me, I think they see him as their center fielder, and I think that's where he's going to slide in for the most part, Lance. Uh, Williamson, look, he played well in Minnesota in kind of a hybrid slot role, and I guess we should have mentioned his name. He'll be in the mix for that competition with Haley and Holmes to be that you know nickel defensive back, you know. But seventh-round picks aren't much different than undrafted free agents, right? I mean, they're, they're kind of operating on the same playing field. I think to expect somebody like that to step up in his first year as a seventh-round pick and move in and start, I think you're asking a lot. 
Well, I think it depends on what he can do over the course of the practices, which are going to be limited, and what the coaching staff thinks of him is really going to be the end-all, be-all in terms of how much of a ceiling he has this season. I will say this, Chris Williamson has a very unique background because he was a wide receiver that actually transitioned to the secondary. So, you know, he sees the game from both sides. We actually had Ray Buchanan, who's his mentor on uh, earlier edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, and he talked about how he convinced him to move to defensive back, and they've been training him for years to become that much more comfortable at that hybrid type of role. So I think that he's been exposed to a variety of different situations, but I would say that I think there's other guys that have a little bit more experience on the NFL level that have a significant edge over him. That doesn't mean, though, that Williamson doesn't have a shot, whether it be on the active roster or the practice squad. And, you know, if Sam Beal and DeAndre Baker, because he's on the commissioner's exempt list, are now not viable options, at least in the early stages of the season, they may have to call upon a young guy, especially depending on how the health of this team plays out. So I wouldn't rule anybody out from being moved in and out of the lineup. But I will say that I think at least on paper, you figure guys like Julian Love, Grant Haley, Montre Hardage, as well as Corey Ballantyne and Darnay Holmes are ahead of him on the depth chart simply because of where they were drafted, NFL experience, and their usage on previous teams. And when we say depth chart, we mean likely to start because the team exactly. has no depth chart because they don't know any of these guys are yet. <laughs> Which is why all Haven't this is out so the field tricky. Yet. Yeah. Exactly. Let's go back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Cole, you're on the line with Schmelk and Meadow. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, guys. It's Scott from New Mexico. Hey, Scott. Uh, I don't know if you heard, about a half hour ago, ESPN announced that they fully expect the two starting tackles for the Giants to be Andrew Thomas and Matt Pearl. Wait. First of all, who reported that and in what context did they report it that? It was a little blurb that I saw running along the ESPN sports Okay, line. well, I, 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 I need to know I was wondering if you guys had heard anything like no, that. or Okay. And, and by the way, anyone – I'm going to rant for a second, Scott, so you're going to have to stand by. Okay. Anybody that claims to know who the two giant starting offensive tackles going to be and where they're going to play don't have a damn clue what they're talking about. Period. Do you know why? The coaches haven't seen him play yet! That's why I was calling, because <laughs> I don't know where they would have gotten this information from. And obviously, I don't know what vested interest they have in reporting something like that, but it seemed very odd to me before anything's even been formalized to see that little blurb running underneath. But it, it obviously said that that's exactly who they thought the well, starting tackles would be. Was this blurb from today? Scott, yeah, just out of curiosity? Just, I just saw it a half hour ago. No, That's but was it was on calling. Sports Center? Was it on a fantasy ESPN. show? Like that? What, what was the specific show that you were watching? Well, Lance, uh, I, I think it was just on the bottom line, Lance. Yeah, I it, was think it, was it was a bottom blurb running across, and, and I said, That's odd. I said, Why would they have announce anything like that before anybody's even no, been on the didn't. field yet. They did. So that's why the only reason I was calling if you knew any information in regards to why they would have said that and and why ESPN would be reporting that. And I assume it had to come from somebody at ESPN who was given information. That was the only reason why I was calling to find out if you knew anything about it. I haven't heard anything about it. I mean, I'm simply typing it in my computer right now just to see okay. if there's a story on the Internet. I'm not even picking up anything on the Internet. That's why I asked what the show was because I know ESPN has 
blurbs that are on the bottom of right. the TV, and it depends and, and, on what show they're on. Because, for okay. example, if they're well, this showing... this was a blurb that was running on the bottom. No, I, I, and I get that, but what I'm saying is, like, SportsCenter, when the blurb is running on the bottom, it's usually news, actual reporting. Sometimes if it's Sports a fantasy Center. show I, or an NFL show, it's projections or rankings, which is not news. It's just some okay. individual that made up that stuff. That's okay, all. I was just yeah. trying to get some clarification. If, I uh, it, as I said, it seemed kind of bizarre to be announcing who you're starting tackles with before you even get on the field. Yes. Well, I could tell you that the Giants certainly are not reporting that. And okay. w- once again, I-, I think that we've got to be careful, and I'm not blaming you once again, Scott, for bringing right. it up, but if I don't know who it came from, the context of whether it's connected to a show, it's hard for right. me to comment. But I could tell you the Giants certainly have not publicly made any declaration in terms of who their starting offensive line is, okay. especially well, before they even get out of the field for a pen right. practice. I-, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. No, sure. no problem. You got it. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the call. Yeah, no one has announced starting tackles. Yeah. And the idea that they would hand Matt Parrott the starting tackle job as a third-round pick when they have Cameron Fleming on the roster, who I understand has ever been a full-time starter before the guys even get on the field, is, I, I use this word quite specifically, lunacy. It's lunacy. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't know where that came from or what the deal is, but no, they, they haven't. Period. Well, and that's why, to me, whenever we have quotations from the bottom line on ESPN, it's always important to understand who is saying it or who it's coming from. And once again, without knowing the source, it really doesn't serve much purpose of making a comment on it because I'm not disputing it and I'm not validating it. I'm sort of standing in the area of I don't know. But I will say this. you know, We have talked about options for the Giants and the fact that Nick Gates was just given a contract extension. I think you could read between the lines and say the Giants certainly feel good about what he's brought to the table. You brought up Cam Fleming, who while he hasn't been in every down, every game starter, has been with the Cowboys and has been asked to fill in for arguably one of the best left tackles in the NFL, Tyron Smith, when he's missed three games in each of the last two seasons. So I think that also says a lot about at least what Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo have thought about him. So if we're talking about those two guys who have a little bit more substance and they're proven commodities, and we're just going to skip over them for a third-round pick this year who has yet to even step on the field in pads and go up against another NFL defensive player, John, I think that would be a rather ridiculous statement to make yes yes <laughs> i can't add anything more than that 973-667-1960 973-667-1960 get on the line give us a call you can also again hit us up on twitter at hashtag giants chat or go to giants.com slash podcast slash bbk questions and you can get in touch with us that way as well this last this question came in yesterday um from keith at Keith with a bunch of numbers I'm not going to repeat. I listen to the show every day and love it. But if one more person mentions signing Jadavian Clowney, I'm going to lose it. LOL. Well, welcome <laughs> to the club. <laughs> Those questions and comments are still coming in. <laughs> I feel like we've been getting statements like that for the last few months. Yeah, well, the guy seems- just signed somewhere already. I mean, like, please, it, that would be very helpful. Like, if you want to call in and argue about Logan Ryan, I, 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 think, that's a, I think that's a better argument to have. You know, based on what's going on at cornerback, I get that argument, and I think there's a case to be made depending on price point, which, by the way, there was a case to be made for that before the Nate Solder thing happened. So 
to me, that's not solder-related necessarily. That's just, oh, you can improve yourself at a position of weakness type of situation. So, you know, a guy like Logan Ryan, I think we can have the conversation. But, guys, I think we can just move on from the Jadavian Clowney talk, please. Well, the other thing is the Jadavian Clowney talk also was at the forefront before there was any conclusion on what was going to happen with Marcus Golden. And now that Marcus Golden is back, does that solve the Giants' pass rush? No, that's not what I'm saying. But you at least have somebody that was very productive that the Giants know, at least the front office knows. The coaching staff is getting used to him now. And you feel as if there's a little bit more substance in that pass rushing department compared to how we were having this conversation a few months prior. So I think that has changed things. I also think, like anything else, when you find out players opt out and you find out, John, that their contracts toll and everything gets carried over to 2021 and there's more cap space, people immediately think about, okay, it's burning a hole in my pocket. I better spend it now. But cap space, once again, rolls over to the following season. So there's not an overwhelming amount of urgency just because you get cap space relief that you have to spend it immediately. And keep this in mind. When Nate Solder returns in 2021, because the numbers that were penciled in were pertaining to 2020, there's going to have to be some adjustments made, John, with respect to now how he counts on the books for 2021, which means that you need more wiggle room to account for that. And we've been talking about on this show, if the floor is going to be $175 million, that's a big difference from 198.2. And there's going to be some teams, by the way, that before the clock starts ticking on free agency, they're going to be well over the cap, John, that they're going to have to cut players just to get to the bare minimum before all of a sudden free agency hits. And I don't think most teams want to be put in that position. That's more of a reason why I don't think most teams are thinking right now, just because we get some cap space relief, we now have to go on a spending spree. Yeah, to your point, when they sold her with that contract moving over, there's so so much dead money left on that contract that it's not like you can just let them go and then you reap all these financial benefits. That's not how it's going to work. And I think next year, Lance, and you know, we always say this, fans call up and they go willy-nilly, oh, let's just renegotiate the contract. Well, the player has to agree to that. Next year, however, with so many teams potentially up against the cap, I think teams will have more leverage to try to convince guys to renegotiate these contracts because if they get cut, there might not be many teams out there with money in free agency to re-sign them for them to make that money back. So for some players next year, it might actually end up making sense for them to restructure their contracts when in past seasons they haven't just because there will be so little action on the open market because the cap is going to decrease the way it's projected to. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how these dynamics play out to your point who has leverage is it the team is it the player how is the free agent market going to play out overall do you play a position where you're the number one guy on the market John or are you playing a position where there's a lot of substance and now all of a sudden you thought you were going to cash in and now you can't so therefore you're more open to taking a pay cut how does college football play out this season what does that mean for the draft is there going to be additional (laughs) competition from the youngsters or maybe Maybe there's not going to be because these guys haven't played a full season. All of that unknown is going to shape how the offseason plays out. So, you know, right now, I think most teams, if you were to ask the front offices, I think they're operating under a conservative approach because they want to be prepared for curveballs here and there, which means 
the best solution or the best route to travel right now is not, well, we have money, let's all of a sudden go throw it out at Everson Griffin. Let's throw it at Clowney. And let's start bringing in these big names just to appease our fan base. Remember, cap space is not something that just lasts for one season. If you act accordingly, you can make it a very healthy situation for yourself for years to come. And the Giants, by the way, John, can speak from experience in 2016 where they were very aggressive. Then all of a sudden, it lasted for one year. They had to clean it up, and now it has impacted the health and well-being of their finances in terms of how much they could spend for the years after. So the point is, do you really want to go down that road again where you're spending it for the sake of spending it, and then it comes back to bite you a season or two later on? No question about it, Lance. We got a question that got submitted to Giants.com slash podcast slash BBK question. This one from Chad Grant. Uh, We talked about this a while back, but since he just did actually sign that tender, we can talk about it again now for one last time. Uh, Here's the question from Chad. Now that Golden's officially back, um, we've heard a lot about the rarely used May 5th tender that the Giants used. It's called an unrestricted free agency tender. Can you explain what it is, how it works? And is it something teams can use on every player going into free agency, or were there some specifics in Golden's contracts that allowed the Giants to use it on him? No, there's nothing specific to Golden that allowed the Giants to use it on him, but it's a tag that has very limited utility to it because it basically traps you into signing the player for what his contract was the year before, plus or minus 10% of the value. That That's basically how it works. So if you slap that tag on a really good player and he's coming off a contract year where, you know, he didn't make a lot of money, guess what? He's going to find the bigger deal somewhere else and sign there. Um, basically, that tag is, is what I would call a backstop tag, where if a player you have for on his previous contract, you like the amount you paid him. Um, because that tender is linked to what his prior salary was. So if you have a guy hitting free agency and you're like, well, if I could have player X back at the same salary from last year, I think that's really good value. I'd love to have him at that value, but I don't want to pay him more than that. Then I don't think he's good value. Well, then you put the tag on him because if he can't find another destination by the end of July, then he comes back to you at that number. So it has to be a very specific thing here, Lance, where the team that has the player that's an unrestricted free agent really wants him at that prior salary, and that's why we don't see it a lot because a lot of times that prior salary might be too small, it might be too large, but if it's just about right, it's a tag the team can use where maybe the player won't find a better deal elsewhere and then he'll revert back uh, to his original team. So it really has everything to do with whether or not that prior contract is a sweet spot with the team, and with the market where no one else is going to be willing to pay more than that so the player doesn't end up reverting back to that tag on July 27th. Well, the other thing is I think cap space has to be thrown into this conversation too because keep in mind the deadline was right around when training camp started and usually when you get into that part of the calendar, most teams have already spent what they had anticipated on free agency. And right now it's a matter of getting your rookie class signed and also leaving some space open in the event that you need to sign some players due to injuries that arise, which is something that Dave Gettleman brought up. So to your point, John, if it is a guy that you gave a one-year prove-it deal last season, but it was a lot more money than Golden made because Golden's deal was reasonable, he was extremely productive, and it played out to the advantage of the Giants because the market 
didn't play out how Golden envisioned. So it's a manageable deal. You like the player. He was a good locker room presence. You'd be more than happy to bring him back because it also doesn't eat up an overwhelming amount of cast space. But let's say it was a guy, John, that you signed to a one-year, I don't know, a $17, $18 million contract, right? And he had a productive year. In all likelihood, he's probably going to get a deal which is equal or better in the open market. But let's see the market didn't play out, let's say. Now, all of a sudden, if you hit the guy with that tag, you've got to make sure you've got enough space of 17 to $18 million yep. to be able to absorb that contract. So I think the reason why it was so beneficial for Golden was, as you hit on, it was a reasonable contract. It's going to be a different decision for any other player if it's an unreasonable contract, no matter how much you love that player, because if you wait till July for the deadline to come, that means you probably signed guys in April, in May maybe, going back to February, and March, and do you really now want to miss out on some of them simply because you're hoping that perhaps the market plays out in your favor where you don't have to reabsorb his contract? That's a lot of rolling the dice that could easily backfire on you. Yeah, and I think that's key. It's all about what that number was previously because odds are the guy, if, if it's a way undervalued contract and you put that tag on him, he's going to find a better deal elsewhere. If it's an overvalued contract, maybe you don't want him back at that number. So why yeah. would you put the tag on him? So I, it just so happened to work with, with just the monetary details of Golden's deal. And look, you know, I'm sure Marcus would have preferred to sign a long-term deal for more money somewhere else. But to your point, the market just didn't develop for him, uh, which is why it worked out so well for the Giants. And quite frankly, Lance, even if they didn't put that tag on him, based on how the market went and everything, they might have re-signed him anyway. You know, they might have been able to negotiate with him a number that made sense for both sides, and he might have been back anyhow. Very possible. It's possible that the Giants could have said to him, hey, Marcus, go out, test the market. Just so you know, we're still interested in you. If it doesn't play out the way you envisioned, if you don't get a deal that blows you away, talk to us. And when summer camp, as I think is the best way to put it, as opposed to a true trading camp, starts up, Maybe we'll have some wiggle room to bring you back. So, yeah, I, I think once again, it played out probably as ideal as the Giants could have scripted, John, when you think about it, because they placed the tender on him. The market was quiet. They liked him clearly as a player. They needed help in the pass rushing department, and they're bringing him back on the pretty much same deal that was last year. And, hey, if Golden plays well, it's good for the Giants, and it's even better for him because maybe as we return to somewhat normalcy, maybe other teams start seeing what he did now in back-to-back seasons, and it becomes a more attractive market for him. So, you know, this is, could very well turn out to be a huge win-win for both sides where the Giants are not locked to a player long-term, but they certainly respect his abilities. And then Golden has another very impressive season, and he's able to cash in on that next year. No question about it. And I think that'll be an interesting thing to keep an eye on. And, you know, Joe Judge, we mentioned this yesterday. He spoke to the media on Wednesday. He said with those four guys now, Kyler Fackrell, Marcus Golden, Lorenzo Carter, and Ocean Zimenez, that while all four are quote-unquote edge defenders or, you know, outside linebackers, whatever you want to call them, they all do have different strengths and weaknesses. So they're going to try to get those guys on the field when they can play to their strengths and weaknesses the best they can. 
Well, and I think that's important, like any other position, to monitor what guys can do. Don't necessarily pencil them or pen them in to one category. And I think Patrick Graham is probably saying to himself, he's going to have to be opened at the corner and the safety position, given now that Sam Beal opted out. And, of course, Baker is on the commissioner's exemplars. But getting back to your point, specifically as it pertains to the outside linebackers, once again, you go back and you watch Marcus Golden's film. There were a number of times, John, where... It wasn't just a matter of him pushing the guy out of the way in front of him and sacking the quarterback. It was him being well-disciplined, anticipating what is going to happen in front of him, and then running and chasing. For example, the one play that I constantly point to is the sack that he came up with on third down of Kyler Murray, which then, if you remember, led to a block punt by Michael Thomas, where it was all the way back of the end zone. And it was just the perfect example of the defense complementing special teams. But why do I bring up that play? It went down as a sack of Kyler Murray. But if you go back, John, and you watch that film, it wasn't, once again, one of those Golden comes off the edge and he just hammers Murray to the ground. It was more of a matter of Golden is shifty on the play. And he's staying in front of Murray and he's waiting. All right, is Kyler now going to try to get crafty and try to race past me? I'm going to anticipate it. So Golden, why I bring that up is if you ask him to fit into another the role and you say Marcus for this play we want you to be aware of stopping the run and not necessarily all of a sudden just eyeing the quarterback I think Golden is more than capable of being asked to assume that role so if that is what Joe Judge and Patrick Graham envision I still think there is some creativity to move some of those guys around well Lance there was one piece of news out there it's not NFL related it's college football related but it's it kind of goes to the NFL Apparently, uh, Miami Hurricane head coach Manny Diaz was, as he was doing a media conference call, I think he was texted by Gregory Rousseau. And for the fans out there that don't know that name, he's a 6'7", 250-pound uh, edge rusher that had 15 and a half sacks last year for the Miami Hurricanes. And he's going to opt out of the 2020 college football season. So uh, that's a big deal. I mean, a lot of people think he's going to be a top five pick, Lance, maybe top three pick. So... You know, we saw it with uh, Caleb Fairley, I believe his name is, from uh, Virginia Tech yeah. last week. Uh, he was, uh, you know, top one or two or three cornerback in the class, a potential first-round pick. Where, And you made this point earlier when we were talking about the offseason. Who knows what this evaluation process for the draft is going to be because, you know, Rousseau is a sophomore, right? So he's going to come out with only two years' worth of college football tape and a year since he last played a game or more than that even – and teams are going to have to figure out where they're going to want to draft them. So it's just going to be real interesting. God willing, we finish the season, but whenever it's over, there's going to be a lot of interesting things and issues to talk about once we get to February and March. Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, there's a lot of angles and a lot of tentacles connected to these seasons. I will say this. I'm not going to be surprised, John, if this becomes more of a trend in college football. Oh, absolutely. Because I think college football players are weighing two things. Number one, some of the underclassmen are probably saying to themselves, do I want to waste a year of eligibility on a season that I don't even know is going to be completed or is even going to start? That's number one. So I think the eligibility factor is one of the things that players are keeping in the back of their minds. And number two, if in the event that you wind up playing one game and you get hurt, do you want to risk that in terms of 
your draft stock, taking a nosedive, because NFL has already come out and pretty much said, hey, if they try to make a spring season, which I think would lead to more opt-outs, we're not moving the draft, and we're not catering it just so that maybe college football will get a season in. So I think all of these factors are probably going to lead to a number of players saying, you know what, it's just not worth entering the land yeah. of the unknown. And look, they might move the end. You know, they could slide the NFL draft maybe a little bit too. Who knows? That's something that, that, that they can kind of figure out down the road, right? But... Yeah, we'll see. It'll be. But how much can you move it, John? I mean, That's I my million-dollar question. You could probably move it, I think, to middle end of May. Because remember, you Very got rookie minicamp. You want the guys in for rookie minicamp, assuming we get know. to minicamp. Sacrifices must be. Lance, look at yeah. this way. If they're playing spring football, I would not be surprised if they, if they slid the draft back a little bit. I wouldn't either. But also, once again, I don't think there's going to be a lot of NFL coaches that are going to be too pleased about finding out who their draft class is in the middle of June, okay? Oh, I will no. tell you that. I, well, I know they're not, but yeah, look, look, we, we just don't know. We had Dane Brugler on, and he talked about that. He goes, I don't know how much the NFL is going to be flexible. You know, will the teams, do the teams want it to get pushed back so they get more of these guys on tape because there's more guys that will be willing to opt in if they move the draft back, but... You know, so there's just a whole lot of things to weigh here. Anyway, Lance, good stuff. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelt. Thanks for being with us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll see you then, everybody. Stay safe.